0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. This is the final episode of the 2021 season for me with the podcasting. Uh, I'm gonna look over, just kind of look back and recap the season as a whole. Ah. Hey, easy. This guy's really upset that the season's over. Gonna be looking back, big picture um, at the final standings, some longstanding narratives and streaks that were broken over the course of the year, some over and underachievers. achievers. Kind of looking at all the coaching changes, transfers, a lot of that stuff is still pending as far as the transfer portal goes. So we'll uh, get you updated as things currently stand on the afternoon of January 23rd. Um, We're going to look at some 2022 futures. Those are already out. They came out like an hour after the Bama-Georgia game ended. Vegas wastes. No time getting all that set up for next season and then talk a little bit about off-season plans and wrap everything up. So thanks for listening. We'll do this one last time. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. So first I'm going to look at the final rankings, uh, mostly the top 10 and then maybe a couple others that caught my eye. Um, I think at the end of the season, it was very clear that The number one and number two teams uh, were kind of in a world of their own, and there was a pretty significant drop-off after that, as you saw in the semifinal games, Um, then a more competitive national championship game than we've seen in a while. But, you know, all year it was kind of Georgia at the top alone, And then there was a jumble of two through five or six of teams. It's like, okay, maybe these guys can figure it out and get hot. And wound up just being the two most talented teams at the end of the day. uh, Wound up one and two. And then even though that was the case, it did feel like there was a lot more parity this year. And maybe that's because... Normal teams that we're used to seeing kind of clogging up the playoff picture, like Clemson was out of it from a very er very early point in the season. Not that losing to Georgia week one eliminated them from anything, but then they lost a couple more pretty soon after that in September, early October, whatever. And uh, they were just totally out of the conversation. Ohio State, with the early loss to Oregon, kind of put them on the ropes for the whole year. Um, You know, even Oklahoma, even though they didn't lose until November, they were really close to losing, like, all season long. So they didn't feel like the normal threat that they were. Notre Dame, with the early loss to Cincinnati, didn't make them feel as serious. You know, some kind of dark horse teams that I'll talk about. Um, In the underachiever section, like Iowa State and North Carolina, that people thought, you know, if things fall their way, they definitely have a chance of making it, um, or at least being in the conversation in November. And they lost a bunch of games early on that eliminated themselves from the discussion. So there was a lot more parity, you know, even though Georgia was, you know, most all of the season, the kind of clear number one. Um, that the three through nine or 10 uh, spots in the final poll were all teams that in November looked like they had a pretty good shot at making the playoff. Uh, so it obviously was Georgia one, Bama two, then number three was Michigan, number four Cincinnati uh, in the final polls, five Baylor, six Ohio State, seven Oklahoma State, eight Notre Dame, 9, Michigan State, and 10, Oklahoma. So all of those teams really had a good chance going into November and some of them even later into the season than that to make it to the college football playoff. So while the 1 and 2 were definitely off in a league of their own, that 3 through 10, I think, was more interesting than we've seen it in previous years because, you know, number 9 Michigan beat – or number 9 Michigan State beat Michigan earlier in the year. And, you know, after that top 10, you have a really fun bunch of teams from 11 to 15 with Ole Miss at 11, Utah at 12, 13 was Pittsburgh – Clemson 14 and Wake Forest 15, um, you know, and all of those teams could have beaten Michigan or Cincinnati on any given day, it feels like. So I think it was a kind of a different, different year. And you can chalk that up to sometimes we just have parity. Obviously the COVID rules with a lot of the players being able to stay an extra year, they wouldn't have been able to otherwise gives teams like wake forest and pittsburgh uh who you're definitely not used to seeing them in the top uh top 15 but those you know those teams had extra experience that they wouldn't have normally had which gave them a leg up on teams like clemson uh who just loses a lot of guys to the draft year after year and a lot of those you know talented players that they have that are going to go be a top two or three round pick in the NFL draft aren't going to stay another year because of COVID. Um, you know, they're, they're just ready to go make their money at that point. But it was, you know, more parity, I think, than the normal year. I'd be interested to hear what other people think about that. But, you know, I think you can chalk some of that up to to the COVID Having, a, having an effect on the rosters, and it'll be that way next year as well, so it, it's just a domino effect that'll take a while to trickle all the way down and get out of the system, but I think it was pretty interesting, uh, you know, and with Bama losing to T- Texas A&M so early in, early in the season, they were by no means a lock to make it in, I mean, they had to fight all the way through the SEC championship game to guarantee themselves a spot in the playoff. So it really was pretty wide open. You know, Oklahoma State was literally one inch away from possibly making it and causing some serious chaos uh, for the selection committee. You know, Baylor ended up at number five in the final polls at 12-2. and Ohio State... You know, even though they weren't in the discussion on championship Saturday, they, they were still in the mix more so than Clemson was. So they were always looming. Notre Dame was looming. Michigan State looked like they had a chance to get in after that Michigan victory. So I thought that was pretty fun. And I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to probably a similar degree next year uh, with, you know, COVID still having the, the impact on rosters. Uh, So some narratives and streaks that were broken um, that are worth mentioning, kind of more big picture and historically, obviously, uh, the number one that I have on my list is the 1980 thing being uh, thrown out the window with Georgia finally getting the national title they've been seeking for so long. Number two, Cincinnati breaking the group of five barrier into the college football playoff. A lot of people thought it could never be done. Cincinnati was a big topic of conversation even before the season because of how well they played last year. um, They ended up losing in a pretty close game to Georgia in the Peach Bowl um, after a great season for the Bearcats. But a lot of people just thought there's no way they're always going to get jumped by another power five team. And that was close to ha- possibly happening if Oklahoma state had hit the pylon in the big 12 championship game. Um, but the committee was spared a really difficult decision on that one. So good for Cincinnati, even though that semifinal game wasn't competitive, it was nice to see that. Okay. It's not impossible in this 14 playoff, which granted, Probably won't be around much longer, um, but it was nice to see them. It was a good story and just a really pretty unbelievable job by Luke Fickle um, with that program and getting it to where it is today. Uh, Number three, Michigan finally beat Ohio State for the first time in 10 years. The last time they had done that was 2011. They won the Big Ten title for the first time since 2004. And they made the first college football playoff in school history. So Michigan, you know, most most people my age kind of think of them as all bark, no bite. They're, a, you know, obviously a classic college football program. I wouldn't say blue blood, but they're up there in that maybe B or C tier. Um, and, you know, our whole life, they've really just underachieved because they get so much attention nationally and they're so popular and, you you know, the big brand that they have, but they've never really, you know, been in the, been in the big games in our lifetime. So ever since the nineties, they've been struggling to get back there and find it, but they finally did this year, even though they got smoked also in the semifinal, um, you know, it, it, it was a long time coming for Michigan. So good for them. Harbaugh, you know, made a big bet on himself who knows what's going to happen with him. There's a lot of chit-chat about the Raiders looking at him and him being interested in that gig, which would really be pretty fascinating if he like finally beat Ohio State, this thing that him and that school have been chasing for so long and then just immediately left. Um, so I don't know. None of the NFL teams have made any head coaching hires yet so maybe here in a few days once one team does then it'll just set off the chain reaction like we often see in in college sports with hirings and firings but yeah Harbaugh there's just a lot of a lot of chatter around that so that really would be pretty bizarre um, the number four Sabin finally losing to a former assistant that was a more and more popular stat that the TV broadcasts would throw up every single year that went by. The number would grow before this season Saban or er, before the Texas A&M game rather Saban was 25 and O against former assistants um, that started back in 2010 when uh, he beat Derek Dooley's Tennessee team. That was the first assistant assistant-turned head coach that Saban had gone against um, Jimbo finally did it after 11, 10, 10 and a half seasons of going undefeated against his former assistants. It's amazing it lasted that long because you've got guys like Kirby uh, who were his assistants and could have beat him you know, several times over the past few years, but Saban was always able to squeak it out. Not enough in the Texas A&M game to, to totally come back from the deficit Alabama faced there at halftime. So Jimbo got him, and then Kirby got him, uh, obviously, in January. So it went undefeated for over 10 years and then lost to two in the same season. So uh, (laughs) number five, we have Kansas beating Texas in Austin. Uh, They were a 31-point underdog. This was Kansas's first Big 12 road win since 2008 and their first ever win against the Longhorns in Austin. A lot of people said it could never be done. Kansas could never beat a Texas team in Austin, but hey, we saw a lot of narratives and streaks broken this year, and that one is the last, but certainly not least. Now moving on to over and under achievers from the season, we'll start on a positive note with the overachievers. Um, I'm going to do this like conference by conference, as that was just easiest to go through the standings when I was preparing for this, and write down any teams that caught my eye. Uh, So in the ACC, Wake Forest and Pitt both finished 11 and three overall. They both reached the ACC title game. Uh, Really awesome season for both of these squads, who usually deal with pretty you know mediocre football results. Um. They both had really exciting offenses. Obviously, Kenny Pickett with Pitt was the the crown jewel from either of these teams. They both benefited a lot from that COVID rule of players being able to come back and uh, stay for an extra year of eligibility. So, even though neither of them were able to make the playoff, these are two seasons that they won't forget for a long, long time. So, it was nice to see when Clemson was finally down and out in the ACC, a couple of other teams come on and take the divisions and, you know, kind of claim the conference as their own for the 2021 year. Uh, Michigan, obviously a big overachiever, their win total was like seven seven and a half going into the season so um i wish i had the the totals for all these years because that would be interesting to look back on but they're way way long gone at this point um but michigan finally beating ohio state you know finally winning the big 10 just their division uh in the first place which they had never done since harbaugh has been there and probably a lot longer than that Um, and then, you know, making the first playoff in school history was a great achievement for the Wolverines. Didn't end like they wanted it to, but they're going to remember this season fondly for years to come. Washington State, they started one and three. They were not supposed to be a very good football team this year. As a reminder of what they were dealing with at the beginning of the season, their head coach got fired after the one and three start. Uh... Because he did not uh, get the vaccine and it was a state of Washington mandate that required him to do so to con- continue working that public job. He decided no and they decided to fire him. So after that happened, Washington State was one and three and they finished the year seven and six uh, after the firing. This was capped off in the regular season by a victory over their rivals in the Washington Huskies in Seattle, where the Washington state fans actually stormed Washington's field after that victory. So that was kind of fun seeing that Cougar team rally around one another after all the adversity they had to face, um, with their coach being dismissed after like four weeks and finishing on a really high note and overachieving what most people thought they were going to do. Um, Oregon State also finished seven and six. Uh, they were not supposed to be a good team at all, but they benefited from the Pac-12, especially that North uh, North Division being down and underachieving, kind of as a whole. Between Oregon and Washington, the two more nationally relevant teams this year, uh, and the SEC: Kentucky, Arkansas, and Tennessee. All definitely exceeded their expectations. Kentucky finished ten and three. Arkansas finished nine and four, and Tennessee finished seven and six. I think out of those three, Arkansas uh, was the biggest overachiever for me. They, you know, had some promising signs coming into this season. Last year was the first year under Sam Pittman. And it was the first time they had looked competitive in God knows how long. Even though they didn't have a great win and loss record, you could tell, like, okay, something's cooking here. They're moving in the right direction. At least they're not getting throttled every single week like they were for, you know, who knows, since maybe 2016 or 17 when things got really bad up there in Fayetteville. Um, I remember looking at their schedule before uh, the season because I was curious, curiously looking into placing an over on their season win total, which was in the five or six range. And I stayed away from it because it's like, I like how everything sounds in Arkansas right now, but their schedule is just so damn hard playing in the SEC West. And they got a really unfortunate draw of having Georgia as their rotational crossover team this year. So I was like, I just, you know, even I thought it would be more of a similar season to last year than what it actually was, where Arkansas was competitive, but not getting a lot of wins in the long run. But they proved me wrong. They really came onto the map when they kicked Texas's ass in week. uh, I think that was week two there in Fayetteville. That was awesome. That was one of my favorite games of the year, Um, but really happy to see Arkansas. Back in competitive, they had a great victory in the uh, Outback Bowl, I believe it was, over Penn State. And the SEC is just more fun when Arkansas, you know, they don't have to be like a playoff contending team. But if they're just in the mix, it's it's more fun when the Hogs are at least respectable. So good job to the Cats, Hogs, and Vols, all on really good seasons there um, in the SEC. Uh, for underachievers, Clemson is the easiest one. They finished ten and three. They lost a lot in the in the NFL draft last year, but they always do. But you know, with Trevor going, that was obviously a a big one. But they have always neglected the transfer portal. We've discussed that quite a bit in the past, and you know, it finally came back to bite them in the rear because this year, where they lost a lot, they were under experienced on the offensive line. They could have really used some veteran help. To come in and play immediately, that had you know valuable experience playing a few seasons elsewhere, but Dabo decided that wasn't their thing, and you know they 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 lost three games probably because of that. They uh, ended up doing better, I think. You know, I mean, ten and three. With everyone it, with how everyone kind of acted about Clemson this year, since they've been so good, so consistently. Um, it feels like they had like an eight win season, not a 10 win season, but you know, if, if you're playing for the playoff and national championship year and you're out, then a 10 win, three loss season is pretty disappointing. Um, also in the ACC, um, UNC and Miami in the coastal dis- division, North Carolina finished six and seven, and Miami finished seven and five um this was you know Miami had some injury issues and obviously just fired their coach Manny Diaz so I think North Carolina was the bigger disappointment they did lose a lot of skill players uh to the NFL last year but Sam Howell was supposed to be you know Heisman contender potentially first overall draft pick and it was just really really bad from week one there in Chapel Hill And no better down in South Florida, as both of those teams had a great opportunity to finally take over the ACC in a down year for Clemson. And instead, Wake Forest won their division, not Miami or UNC Uh, in the Big 12. Oklahoma, they finished 11-2, which again is not bad by basically anyone's. Um, standards. However, it was a really ugly 11-2. If you remember, they almost got beat by Kansas. It felt like every single week they were fighting for their lives in the second half. They had the weird quarterback struggle where Spencer Rattler was also potentially, you know, he was the Heisman favorite potential first round draft pick or first overall, you know, depending on who you were asking. And he got freaking benched halfway through the season for Caleb Williams um they didn't lose until november which it was just a really weird season but they were oklahoma and clemson were my two picks to go to the national championship before the season so saw how i did there but oklahoma was supposed to have this great defense and really experienced line and everything and it felt like okay if they can get some not even Heisman caliber, but just good play out of Rattler, and their defense lives up to these expectations, then maybe this is an Oklahoma team that's going to finally get over that hump that they haven't been to in recent years. This was not the case, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it feels weird talking about 11-2 and two team as an underachiever, but they. I, I was pretty disappointed in how they played. Uh, for the whole season, and now Oklahoma is obviously gonna look totally different with the exodus of Lincoln Riley and a lot of their current players going to u s c and elsewhere. Iowa State also in the big twelve I thought they were gonna be a dark Horse playoff team um you know, out of all of the teams that weren't are the usual suspects, they probably would have been my favorite to get into the playoff, and they finished seven and six just just une- inexcusable, and that's why they are Iowa State after all. Washington was another team I thought could be knocking on the door of the playoff, or at least the Pac-12. They finished 4-8. and eight. Their over-under was like nine wins before the season. Their head coach got fired. It was a total mess in Seattle. Uh, the USC Trojans also finished 4-8. and eight. They were at least in the discussion to win the Pac-12 South. Uh, obviously, their coach was let go in September, so their season just fell apart very, very quickly. Uh, and lastly, in the SEC, we have Florida and LSU, both po- both posting six and seven records. Uh, Florida was second to last in the East after winning the East and pretty being pretty damn close to winning the SEC championship in 2020. And LSU, two years removed from the national title, finished dead last in the SEC West and lost their head coach as a result of that. It really is crazy how fast things can change as you saw over the past year and two in Gainesville and Baton Rouge, as uh, those programs are going to look a lot different going forward, and I'm sure that's something that those fan bases will be pretty happy about. Now I'm quickly going to touch on coaching changes, transfer, a couple NIL things. Um, Each of these could obviously be their own episode, so I'm just going to go through it pretty quickly. So the coaching carousel, it's always wild, but it feels like... This year, uh, maybe a little bit more so than normal, with USC, LSU, and Florida all opening up during the season. Uh, USC in September, LSU in October, and Florida in November. And one unique thing about this particular season's coaching carousel, instead of promoting from within or getting you know, group of five, non-Power 5 coaches like we normally see, or assistant coaches, there were a lot of Power 5 head coaches that were poached to coach other Power 5 schools. So this created a domino effect to the level that I don't ever remember seeing in college football. So it was very dramatic. It felt like NBA free agency level of just, you know, star power and drama and people trading places and whatnot. So, so, it all started with USC uh, firing Clay Helton back in September. And after the Bedlam game, Lincoln Riley, uh, it was announced that he was going to coach at USC, which was probably the most, I mean, that, that kind of started everything. And it was probably the most shocking hire <laughs> in, in quite some time. But because of that, Oklahoma had to go out and get a coach. So they got Brent Venables who has been at Clemson for forever, but was at Oklahoma before that. So uh, Venables is now taking over the Sooners. Uh, The other Clemson offensive coordinator was poached by Virginia. That would be Tony Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator there at Clemson, now head coaching the Cavaliers. So Clemson has a lot of big holes to fill, something that they've really benefited from not having to do over the past few seasons. So that's just one more thing Clemson's going to have to adapt to going forward. Obviously, Brian Kelly replaced Ed Orgeron at LSU. This one was maybe equally as shocking as the Lincoln-Riley thing, just because culturally it's such a weird weird fit. Um, You know, the whole everyone saw the basketball video of him saying family, like he just watched Forrest Gump for the first time on the plane to Baton Rouge or whatever. I think he'll do really well. He probably felt like he hit a ceiling at Notre Dame after having so many good teams but never being able to get over the hump when you played uh, the Alabamas or Clemsons of the world. Um, but then Notre Dame did promote Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator, from within to be the future head coach who seems like a really popular hire so far. Florida got Billy Napier from Louisiana Uh, Mario Cristobal went from Oregon to Miami. His alumni, Dan Lanning, went from Georgia's defensive coordinator to Oregon. And then a couple people staying in place, which was sort of kind of a surprise for James Franklin. He was a big hot target for the USC job. Penn State locked him down for a long $70 million contract. And Mel Tucker got locked into Mississippi State after having one good season at ninety-five million dollars. So that's what happens when you take care of the take advantage of the transfer portal because they came out, looked really good for one year, and then they locked his ass down. Now for the transfer portal, I started to try to make a list of all the big players that were transferring, and it was just way too long for our purposes today. So I'm only gonna talk about the quarterbacks and the carousel that they have going on. So most recently, a few days ago, JT Daniels entered the transfer portal. He was 7-0 and as Georgia's starter, but lost the job to Stetson Bennett after his injury this season. He's the second five-star quarterback to transfer away from Georgia uh, under Kirby Smart, the other being Justin Fields, of course. So he is going to be a really hot target for teams who need a quarterback, he entered the portal so late just because Georgia's season went later than everybody else, and it wasn't a surefire thing that Bennett was going to return uh, for another year. He could have just ridden off into the sunset as a national champion, which I think, as a lazy, uh, lazy guy compared to college football players, I probably would have done and just be remembered uh, as the champion in the state of Georgia forever, but he's coming back for more. So we'll see what, um, what Bennett and the dogs do next year. JT will be playing somewhere else. The other very high profile quarterback that is still in the portal is Caleb Williams from Oklahoma. He, um, took over during the Texas game and then played the majority uh, rest of the season after Rattler had a really disappointing first few games. So he has announced that he will be going elsewhere. It's not – he he doesn't have to transfer somewhere if he enters the transfer portal. He's just saying that he's interested in it. So he could still stay, um, but probably not if he's going through this in the first place. Um, the other Oklahoma quarterback, Spencer Rattler, is going to South Carolina. He's reuniting with – Coach Beamer, who was at Oklahoma before he took over the Gamecocks gig. Quinn Ewers, who was possibly the highest ranked five star quarterback a couple classes ago, um, is transferring from Ohio State to Texas. He was from Texas. You might recognize him. He has a mullet, so he's pretty hard to forget. Um, but he will possibly be taking over the starting gig for the Longhorns next year. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, Bo Nix going from Auburn to Oregon. That was a pretty shocking one being so, you know, close and familiar to him. Um, I think he probably just wanted to get the hell away from Auburn after just the whole family connection he has there and coaching changes and just a uh, pretty odd career. I mean, he was a good quarterback most of the time, but not enough consistency uh, to really be happy with. And, you know, even in his junior year under the new coaching staff, they were still testing the waters with TJ Finley some during the season. And it, it seems that that had just run its course. And Bo Nix is now going to a pretty crowded quarterback room in Oregon. So we'll see how that goes. But I think, and Oregon's going through a bunch of changes, but I think Bo could probably do really well there. Uh, Zach Calzada is transferring from Texas A&M to Auburn. Max Johnson is transferring from LSU to Texas A&M. So a lot lot of domino effects like that. But, um... Yeah, that's all I got for the quarterbacks in the transfer portal. There were a lot of other really talented guys that are going to be in a different jersey next year, but just way too much to talk about. Quickly, the NIL. This was the biggest story going into this season. How players were able to get, uh, you know, money, endorsement money from businesses, and finally make some over-the-table cash for their name, image, and likeness. Um, you know, it's it was a big deal, as it should have been when it got passed, because it was so long overdue. Um, but it proved to really just not be that big of a deal during the season. I feel like once the ball kicked off, um, it, you just really didn't think about it that much. Like sometimes maybe see a player promoting something on social media or a commercial or whatever. But it's uh, everyone got used to it really quickly. Which was nice to see people just not making a big deal about it in a negative way once the, once the ball got kicked off this season. Um, it was interesting uh, in the one of the first couple episodes that I did, I was looking at some of the big high-profile NIL deals that had gone down over the summer. And these were guys like Spencer Rattler and JT Daniels who got really big deals from like fried chicken, fast food companies and like all sorts of stuff and then wound up barely even playing all season. So it it, it was really odd uh, going back through and looking at all of that because these companies probably didn't make a very good investment. Um, back in the summer with some of these guys. So I'm sure it'll level itself out. It was going kind of crazy and bizarre and in so many different directions over the season. There's bound to be some legislation or you know, some type of regulation um, to help control this thing a little bit more um, as in in seasons to come. But it just feels good to have um, have a season with players finally being able to make a little bit of legal money. Uh, to put in their pockets under under our belts now, so I'll be looking forward to seeing what whatever sponsorships come f- uh, come over the summer, especially as the season gets closer. And it'll be interesting every season to look back when we're at the finish line, like, oh yeah, I remember when so and so like is milo still going to be sponsoring bo nicks do they even have milo's tea in oregon we have it here in colorado we don't have the standalone restaurants but i was in walmart this morning and i saw they had all sorts of milo's tea in the uh in the tea section so i don't know if they have it in oregon but like how long is that contract uh bound to him are they paying him to promote it when now he's no longer the auburn quarterback i have no idea kind of an interesting thing to think about though Looking ahead to next year now, um, the futures for the national champion in 2022 are already out, like I said. Alabama comes out as the favorite at plus 225. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, these odds, when I'm saying, like plus whatever number, it's if you bet $100... On Alabama to win at plus 225 then you would end up profiting 225 dollars so Alabama at plus 225 not just because I'm a fan but they would be my pick going in to the next season because they get Bryce Young, and Will Anderson coming back, and I don't feel like you need to say much more than that. However, a slew of defensive guys who were all juniors are coming back, uh, like Jordan Battle, who was a surprise. Uh, I think most people expected him to go to the NFL. The wide receivers will be Young. This will be a very fresh batch of uh, of you know talent, as the past few seasons we've always had guys like, Mechie or Smitty or you know Waddle rolling over from previous receiving cores that had significant experience. Some of the receivers obviously got to play a lot more than I would have liked at the end of the season with all the injuries Alabama faced in that wide receiver room. Uh but you know they'll be young, but they're all very talented, and they'll, you know, they'll be ready next year without a doubt. So I like Alabama to win it, um, especially coming off of a championship loss, always is a motivating factor. And I think that pick will remain the same um, as long as, you know, no one gets hurt or whatever in the offseason. I think Alabama has the best chance to be hoisting the trophy next year. Georgia is closely behind at plus 275. They've lost. They're going to lose a lot of players on that amazing defense. But will benefit from having several elite recruiting classes in a row now that Kirby has been there for enough years to where every single year it's it's turned into a machine, a lot like Alabama, where you just reload and replace. Um, Stetson Bennett, like I already said, is coming back, so he's gonna have a chance to you know defend the title. Um, They're going to lose Pickens, but I'm sure they're going to, you know, be recruiting pretty heavy in the wide receiver department. And Brock Bowers uh, was only a freshman somehow last year, so he's going to be a huge part of that Georgia team going forward for the next couple years. Ohio State coming in with the third-best odds at plus 550. Um, They are changing their defensive philosophy as they got totally manhandled by teams like – Oregon and Michigan this year who just out them and it was very clear that they the Buckeyes were no match for a really strong strong team in the trenches like the Ducks and Wolverines um, so if they can come back they're losing a lot of wider re- all their wide receiver talent but that the the Jackson Smith I might be mistaking his name yeah, that's it. That set all the Rose Bowl <laughs> records for basically every receiving stat that exists. He's coming back with C.J. Stroud, and if they can get their defense more up to par, then they'll have you know they'll be the heavy favorite to come out of the Big Twelve, uh, Big Ten. Clemson is at plus twelve hundred, so a pretty big drop off there from those top three to Clemson. They have a lot of change coming up uh, with the offensive and defensive coordinator being gone. Uh, The ACC is going to be pretty weak this upcoming year, so they should be able to find their way into the playoff, but how they perform against the the heavyweights in the playoff is another story. Texas A&M, another big drop-off to them from plus 1,200 for Clemson to plus 2,200 for the Aggies. I would love this value, If they were in any other division in the country, but their schedule is always so hard being in the SEC West and it's really damn hard to make the playoff if you don't even win your division. It's only been done once, which granted was by an SEC West team in Alabama in 2017, Um, but the Aggies have a huge recruiting class coming in. They're going to need a couple more of those in a row to probably have the consistency that we've seen out of Alabama. Um, their schedule is just so brutal. So we'll see if they can get the quarterback situation figured out in a more permanent manner. They've got they're going to have a lot of talent competing for the starting job over the offseason. So that'll be something interesting to keep an eye on going into next year. But the Aggies have a lot of talent and things are definitely trending in the right direction in College Station. Oklahoma is at plus 2800. They have just it's just too much change going on there for me to think that they're going to be legit national title contenders. I'm sure they'll be, you know, have a decent chance at winning the Big 12 as they always do, but with the coaching changes, the quarterback changes, losing a lot on defense, it's just, it's just too much uh, for me to to think that they have a great chance at making the playoff. Um, and then after that, in the 30 to 1 to 40 to 1 range, we've got USC, Michigan, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Utah, Oregon, Oklahoma State, that kind of next batch. A lot of those teams you saw in that kind of number three to number 12 final ranking of this year um, with really juicy odds. So we'll be looking into more of that stuff over the summer as I start to do some prep for next year and maybe find a couple good long shots to throw five or 10 bucks on and see if we can't hit a big one if someone uh, makes the playoff unexpectedly. So that's about all I have for the season recap and the future is looking ahead to next year. So, We'll wrap this thing up for the last time this season. My off-season plans—the feed will be pretty quiet for the most part, as uh, I'll retweet or talk, you know, mention anything that's interesting. We've still got signing day coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, some quarterbacks that need to find homes, and maybe some more coaching changes. We'll see with the uh, with the NFL vacancies still looming. But I definitely plan on doing a March Madness episode as much as I love college football and it's my favorite sport. March Madness is my favorite sporting event of the year. Um, So we're going to do probably like a preview episode in the week leading up to the tournament and maybe a couple other just random episodes. I definitely am going to do a World Cup episode or two next year as uh, it's finally returning. Uh, unfortunately it's going to be during the college football season. So it's normally during the summer, um, for every world cup I can remember watching and hearing about in history. Um, but since it's in Qatar cause of all the FIFA corruption and all that bullshit, it's gotta be in the winter cause otherwise they'd be playing in like 130 degree heat. So this World Cup is going to be going on like in the prime like the thick of college football like rivalry season in like late November until I assume they'll wrap it up before Christmas. So we might have to do a uh, Iron Bowl and World Cup preview mashup episode. I don't know. It'll it'll get busy for sure, but that's also one of my favorite sporting events in the world so I'll get some people who know way more about soccer than I do to come on and talk to me about that, hopefully. Um, But yeah, uh, other than March Madness, uh, I won't be doing any episodes until like late summer when I'll pick it back up with some season preview episodes, um, probably talk about all of the... Title contenders, maybe some teams to look for in each conference. I'll figure out a format when that comes around a little closer and I get some more preparation done. Um, so that's kind of the plan going forward. Um, and then just some kind of thoughts on doing this as a whole. I started listening to podcasts when my good buddy Andrew Christ from Hush Puppy Highway recommended pardon my take to me senior year of college and kind of diving into sports podcasts really changed the way that I consume all sports not just college football um but I always grew up listening to fall fine bomb and talk radio with my dad in the car on the way to Bama games and coming home from school and practice and everything and I always really enjoyed that especially more so as I've gotten older so the on-demand um nature of podcasts was really appealing to me when I first started getting into that. Never thought about doing something like this until um, it was probably like May of last year when I started to think about it. I've always had trouble with keeping like a consistent uh, hobby practice schedule or whatever you call it. I don't know, you know, whether it's going to the gym or practicing guitar, I always just have good weeks and then, you know, I won't, Touch it or do anything for a few weeks after that, and just totally kill all my momentum and progress that I've made. But I never really struggled with keeping up with college football and you know consuming the the games or media that surrounds it. So I figured that that was something I would be really motivated to do, and I was. So that was just really refreshing to find something that I was really passionate about, and I didn't have to try. It you know it was hard work doing all the preparation and uh, trying to produce a good show and everything, but it it was enjoyable hard work. I had fun doing each and every episode, even when I was really busy. That was kind of a nice break during my week when I could record and just block everything out and just talk ball for 45 minutes, an hour, whatever. Um, so, you know, it made it... Way more fun um, watching all the games since I didn't feel guilty sitting on the couch from 10 a.m. until midnight. Like I could just take some notes throughout the day and, you know, try to try to produce some entertaining content on Twitter and everything. So that that really made my college football season a lot more enjoyable. And while I definitely played less, paid less attention to, you know, learning the three deep Bama roster Like I usually know, it was a lot of fun getting more familiar with a lot more programs around the country. Um, You know, all these teams that I had high hopes for before the season, a lot of which didn't pan out, or you know, teams like Pittsburgh and Wake that we were mentioning earlier that just had unexpected, really great seasons. It was fun to pay more attention to those types of storylines than I would have on a uh, on a normal basis. So this was just something I genuinely enjoyed doing and creating. Um, I had a lot of fun and I think learned a pretty good bit about, you know, football and podcasting and even some very elementary graphic design stuff, as you'll see with the um, the graphic that I'm releasing with this episode to look back on everything. Um, but I really appreciate all of those who... Um, gave me feedback throughout the season. That was very helpful and encouraging. And everyone was really kind and you know thoughtful to let me know whatever was on their mind. And it was pretty nerve wracking to start this thing for the first couple episodes. It took a you know hitting record and hearing my own voice a couple times to settle in a little bit. And now I can just ramble on for an hour and a half, no problem. Um, But yeah, everyone that gave me good feedback or things that I could do a little bit better, I really appreciate that and certainly hope that continues from my good friends and family going forward. Um, Just some influences that I felt necessary to thank because I wouldn't be doing this without them. Uh, Mostly people that I've gotten to know over, not know personally, but I feel like I know them because of how long I've followed them on Twitter uh, the people like Bum Chillups, a.k.a. Spencer Hall and the whole uh, Shutdown Fullcast gang, uh, Alex McDaniel, Bunky Perkins, Andy Staples, just to name a few. There's this like very specific niche of Southern f- college football uh, kind of comedian media people that all of those names I just mentioned definitely emulate. And that's always, and I've never known, I need to like create a name for that or something, but I've never known um, another kind of little niche group on the internet that I've felt like I fit in so well with. So even though I'm not nearly as funny as any of those people, um, I definitely probably wouldn't be doing this show without, you know, already having consumed years and years of their content. So I, uh, I just hope that I can extend that community because it's something that I really do genuinely love and as much as the games themselves are entertaining and keep us coming back it's you know really that type of thing the the connections and the jokes and everything that that make college football truly unique and special Um, they just understand so much about southern culture and college football as a whole um, it's it's created this very like strong virtual connection that I feel to that group of of media members. So I hope that this uh, kind of community, if you will, will continue to to grow and expand. And maybe this can be one vehicle that helps that happen. Hopefully, that would be certainly a goal going forward. Um, to thank all of my guests who came on this year, I really appreciate all of you for taking the time to. Come on the podcast and share your opinions and insight about everything. Um, Those were my favorite episodes when I got to talk to a friend about, you know, whatever team or games were coming up. It made it a lot more fun than just talking to myself on here. So Garrett Bulldog, Ethan Piles, Andrew Dendy for the interview and the intro soundbite that I've been using all, all year. I really appreciate that. Jacob Borland, Houston Howie, Dylan Clark, Stephen Owens, William Knight, Matt Speakman, and Maya for the logo help. Thank all of you so much. And I will definitely be having a lot of people back on. And I'm trying to expand my reach of guests as really all my friends are SEC people. If anyone knows non-SEC people that know a lot about other relevant teams or conferences, it would be great to have uh someone with a little different perspective than most of us as most of us share in the first place on next year so please keep that in mind um in case you know and there were a couple people that reached out to me about being guest on episodes this year and I just couldn't squeeze it in unfortunately but I've got a couple of people already in the works for next year so I will get everyone who's reached out on the show at some point for sure um one, one more thing, uh, I gotta beat my own chest a little bit. One of my favorite parts of doing the show was the best bets section, where every week I picked my favorite uh, spread or total or whatever from the Vegas board, and we finished nine and five, so up approximately five units on the season, so cheers to me on that one and congrats to everyone who followed along as that was certainly very exciting for me to watch every single week um i placed a lot more bets than just those over the course of the season but those ones i was definitely the most invested in having kind of a public uh opinion out on them so that was always great being super invested in the pittsburgh versus duke over under at 11 a.m every saturday type of thing uh but nine and five not half bad we'll see if we can beat it next year um but as long as we're in the green we're doing pretty good so that's all i got um that's a wrap on the season as always please reach out with any ideas feedback whatever else may come to mind uh, that could help improve the show over the course of the off season. Uh, One thing I definitely want to improve on is the social media presence. Um, I feel like I've got the Twitter thing pretty down pat, but I redownloaded Instagram for the first time in like four years to make this podcast account. So I know I was super like (laughs) sporadic and not very consistent on That feed, But going forward, if anyone is good at that and would like to give me some input, it would certainly be appreciated. I've already got some kind of some schedule stuff and ideas to try to keep it a little more up to speed next season. Um, But yeah, that's all I got. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and uh, chatting it up with me about college football this year. It was a really fun season. It's been a fun project. And I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. So until next year, or I guess March Madness, uh, that's that's all from Hummus Tailgate Party. So cheers, guys. Talk to y'all soon.